good. Bible buds. Welcome to the uh, the podcast here, Jacob. Thank Thanks. you for uh, coming to you know hanging out with us to do this goofy thing. Oh man, of course, I'm stoked. Um, we we met you. You you put together a show for a band that Andrew was in, and I was managing at the time, and that's how we we met you there out in Provo, Utah. Yeah, two years ago now. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good times. It's still to to date that's still probably one of my favorite shows I've ever played in my life, honestly. Oh. So we had no idea we had no idea what to expect coming in. Um, you know, we were like, okay, I guess he's got like a barn or it's going to be like an outdoor show or something. The weather was a little all over the place. It looked like it might be like rainy. And then like we show up, we set up, it looked super cool, but like as the show was starting, there was kind of like maybe like two to five people there besides like the Harper's dudes and stuff. And then within like 10 minutes, all of a sudden there was just like 75 people that just cruised up like all at once. Yeah. <laughs> like what? That they was just packed rad. out this barn and yeah, it was super fun. Uh, and yeah, everyone that played was super good and, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just a good fun night. And I think it's one of the, one of the rare occasions where we played to a completely sober crowd. For the most, I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, who knows? There might have been some knuckleheads in there, but uh, and I certainly wasn't 100 percent sober. But um, the crowd was, which was interesting. It was an interesting energy. I liked it. I, I did. Well, it's funny because like I play, I play a lot. Of, I mean, we're based here in Provo, right? So I play a lot at Pro, uh, the venue we have here called Valor, and it's always sober. There's not a bar in the venue, like. So it, for me, it's weird when I'm playing out of town and it's like people aren't sober right. and I like it because some... it's fun. They get rowdy and it's kind of cool. But, um, but yeah, it's like the reverse where I'm like, oh yeah, this is what shows are normally like people are <laughs> yeah. drinking yeah. and having a good time. Right. And there's one dude who's having too much of a good time who maybe <laughs> yeah. has to be escorted out. Sometimes a little less attentive than the uh, the sober crowds, for sure. Yeah. It's true. That is the thing. Like people are there to listen to music, which is so cool. It's just right. quiet. That's what their night is about. Yeah. 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 What? Yeah. That was a that was a memorable night. That was that's like one of those ones you're definitely not expecting, and uh, I feel like people always have as as outsiders when you're when you're booking a tour. I feel like you always hear different things about playing salt lake city or places there around oh it's yeah either yeah it's either the shows are really great or or it can be interesting experiences so yeah it was, uh it was very cool to have that experience of that that barn with with you guys that night and yeah definitely the most probably the memorable takeaway from that that tour we just kept kind of like saying that barn show and having a place to crash is always nice too. So yeah, man, it was, a, it was a super fun time, but I thought of you immediately when Andrew and I started this podcast, I, when we were thinking of people that might be fun to talk to, I kept thinking about you because after we, uh, after the show, we went and got some food with you. We went and got burritos. We went yeah. and got some burritos. And, and we had a mini Bible Buds episode, <laughs> yeah. our first one, maybe. Yeah, we had a Bible Buds episode right there in that that uh, that that spot we were eating at. 
Yeah, um, I remember that. And that was that was like really right as I was kind of, I didn't really know if I fully knew it at the time, but kind of right as I was making uh, an exit from kind of the church. and. Yeah, I feel like you mentioned that like, yeah, you you were basically just like right on the other side of it. Yeah. Like it had like just happened, still sort of working through it. Obviously, like Harper's had been around for a little bit. And so you, that, that was like a weird transition within the band where the rest of the members of the band were all LDS still. Right. And you were like, oh, yeah, trying to figure out this new dynamic. And yeah, there's all kinds of interesting stuff uh, going on. I remember just thinking it was really interesting that. um and I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but I was like, man, it's interesting that you, like, want to stay in Provo. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me, too. Like, um, and I don't know how long I'll be here. I mean, I'm still in school, and I just have such a great setup here right now. I mean, sure. I don't know if I'll be here forever, but also, it's just really a cool place in a lot of ways. Um, and it's kind of like, as I, as I was kind of leaving the church, I wondered if there'd be a place for me here still, because it is so just, the church is just so deeply ingrained in everything here. But man, there's like, there's a really cool community on the other side of that line, you know, and, and even, and there's two communities intermingle and it's, it's all good. But, uh, like there's definitely... Yeah, there are definitely things that could keep me here. Yeah. I think I think we really appreciated that you were like willing to open up about that that night. Um is it safe to say at that like kind of around that point that you didn't have like a lot of people to talk to about it or like you didn't know a lot of people that had left the church at that point? Um I feel like at that point I was like I was kind of caught in between where I felt like I'd go to talk to people who had left the church about, you know, kind of what I was experiencing and where I was at. And it would kind of turn into just bashing the church sometimes, which I also, I have done and try not to do. But, um, but so I'd go to kind of that side of things and I wouldn't really get what I was looking for. Um, but, but then I'd go to people in the church and I feel like I wouldn't really be heard, you know? So yeah, there were people I could talk to, but nobody that I felt really would talk about it in the way that I wanted to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my experience with, uh, with Christianity was just like, when I talked to people who had left the church, so to speak, it just turned into like, you know, them arguing a case for atheism and I was like, well, that's not really where, where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I guess at that, even early on, I was like, I'm kind of bored by this conversation because there's, doesn't really feel like there's a conversation to be had. If you, if your argument is like, well, there is no God, then it sort of just ends there, uh, for me. And I'm like, cool, well, that's great. And I hope that that serves you somehow. But yeah, that's not what I was looking for. Um, and then I couldn't talk to most people in the church, it felt like, because it was like, well, you're just trying to pull me back in. Um, and everything I say, you're just going to like use it in a way to try to keep pulling me back in. Totally. Yeah. And it's 
it just draws this line in the sand where, I don't know, I, I hate when people all treat it like it's this ultimatum, like you're in or you're out. Like there's just such a spectrum, you know, like, right. I, I mean, there are parts of my life that are still very, I mean, I'm not practicing Mormon, but I still am in so many ways Mormon. Dude, that's you know, what you were, it's the stone you were carved from. Oh, totally. You know? And I think that's okay. Like, it's taken me a while to get to a point where I'm not just trying to shake off any traces of, you know, my mission or just sure. the way I grew up. And now I've, I think that's part of the deconstructing process too, right? Is where you kind of swing away from everything and then you kind of like come back for seconds in a way and, and try to rekindle sure. what was things that were good. So take us back a little bit. Uh, you grew up in in upstate New York, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So take us back there and uh, kind of like what your childhood was like and, and what your relationship to to the church was and, and religion and Mormonism and stuff and kind of how that led you to you know where you were at two years ago when we first met you and, and where you're at now. Okay. Um, yeah, dude, upstate New York is a weird place. It's. Um, it's like kind of redneck, but then also kind of hippie, kind of, I don't know. It's just like a real melting pot. A lot of farming pot. communities and stuff like that. Yeah, but then you have like these random little urban hubs. Um, I mean, that's yeah. where Woodstock was. Yeah. In, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, and like, there's a lot of really cool kind of... Uh, just traces of, I guess, kind of the '60s movement. I loved that as a teenager and as, as I was getting into, into music. But um, it, I guess growing up in the church though was um, was interesting out there because there's not, I mean, it's there's not a whole lot of members of the church, you know. Like, sure, I was um, I was one of the only members in my school, or at times the only member in my school. Um, which was always, I feel like my church leaders always tried to push us to be like, you know, there's this saying in the church, every member a missionary. And like, I feel like I looked at being the only member in my school as kind of like a responsibility to be a good example and like kind of be a, a good light face. on the hill. Yeah. Just like, you know, Mormonism has so many, uh, I don't know. People don't always, people aren't always big fans. There's a lot of rumors. So, yes. A lot of rumors. Some of them true. Some of which, uh, some, some of which them, are some true. Of them miscon some misconstrued. Yeah. We had a Mormon guest. We've had a couple Mormon guests on. And one thing that I learned uh, that I was interested in was like, when I was growing up, I always thought that like the Mormon conception of heaven, basically. And this was like, just my broad understanding of it was like, you just get to become God of your own planet, period. Like any, every Mormon gets to do that. But then we learned that it's like, no, there's like this whole afterlife hierarchy that you would have to like, then, and that's basically the highest level that you would get to. And I was like, oh shit, that's a totally like a total misconception that I had then because that makes it, uh, I don't know. It just makes it a little more interesting and a little less goofy if it's not just like this sort of blanket, like, uh, anybody who was baptized in the Mormon church gets to become 
uh, a god as soon as they die, you know? Yeah. Sort of like this thing you have to earn. Yeah. I even don't, I don't know if I even understand all the, uh, all the doctrine around that. I mean, there's so much, like some of it comes from the Mormon scriptures, you know, and like revelations, you know, that, you know, Joseph Smith published, but then some of it, I'm just like, I don't even know where this is coming this from, came. but dude, but yeah, that's just basically come from like a, it uh, just could have come from anyone, right. Who was like a self-proclaimed prophet of the church who was like, I received a, a, a revelation and this is it. I mean, it's possible. That's sort of how I worked in the early days. Yeah. I mean, that is a kind of a founding principle of the church is that you can, you know, we say receive revelation for, uh, for really any question you have. And, you know, that becomes problematic sometimes, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, growing up and it was, was honestly not bad though. Like, I feel like there's so many stories of like people who grew up in it and it was terrible. And I think those, those are stories are valid. I'm not taking anything away from those, but for me, it was like, sure. I really liked the way my parents practiced more Mormonism. And like, I definitely had some, you know, kind of shitty experiences with other members sometimes. But as far as like my family, my direct family goes, like it's honestly not a bad way to grow up. Was your, uh, is your family go back? Like, has your family been Mormon for a long time? On my dad's side. Yeah. Uh, like back okay. to pioneer days. Cause it starts, yeah. Mormonism starts on the East coast. Started right? in upstate New York. Yeah. It started in upstate New York. Yeah. Okay. Right. They, they sort of got pushed out. That's how they ended up in Utah. But yeah. Yeah. So it's okay. So yeah, my members of my, well, a few of my ancestors were those people who, you know, walked across the plains to Utah. Sure. Yeah. Dude, we yeah. keep getting re- relatives of pioneers of the game. Dude. Yeah. So then did you, did your ancestors then come back to upstate New York or did some people on your dad's side, did some just stayed behind? Um, just my dad, he uh, got a job out there working for a company called Corning and we just pretty much just our family was there. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was, in fact, because the church is so small there, he was like, my family was really, really into the church. Like I think almost more than people in Utah are because the church, um, like, I don't know how to explain it really, but here in Utah, the church is kind of everywhere. So when you go to right. church, it's like, it doesn't feel like as much it's, of a separation in a way. Right. It's such a part of the culture yeah. of life there, as opposed to being this sort of like, um, Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. The separate thing yeah. from the, from the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were very, very Mormon. Like, um, my dad was, um, what we call a stake president, which, I mean, the church is organized into what we call stakes, which... Um, here Are in Utah, delicious. they're, they're really small. Yeah. They're basically like districts, but then out, um, but then out there, I don't know. It's like, it covers like, um, probably five or six major cities and, um, okay. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Like growing up, I kind of felt like some pressure sometimes. Like, I feel like a lot of, a few of my siblings and I f- felt that like, 
we were like the stick president's family sort of thing. It's yeah, like being a bishop's like son. Prin- yeah, you're like the principal's kids. Yeah, exactly. It's or maybe it's the superintendent. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like people how many, say. How weird many stuff siblings do you have? I have four siblings. I'm the third. Okay, and are they all still in the church? Like where? Yeah. What ended up with them? Yeah, they're all still in the church, um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them is, all of them have served missions except for the youngest, who's just not old enough, um, any special needs, so he probably isn't going to, but, um, yeah, everybody's still in the church. I'm the only one in my family who's not. When you were younger, did you, did you feel like you connected to the, the spirituality of Mormonism and, and connected to that part of it heavy or did you feel like it was more just a, a part of your family culture um i think i really wanted to connect and i think i convinced myself that i did but at the same time um i don't know it was really difficult for me like um uh, i f- i feel like i was always worried that i was going to leave the church like uh, in fact, when I was home over last month, I was ho- I went home to my parents' house, uh, and I found like this this um, framed, basically like bullet point thing of goals that I had set as like a probably like thirteen or fourteen year old kid, like these goals I had made up for myself, and it was like the man I want to be by the time I'm twenty five. I'm twenty four now, so I've got a year. But it was like all things about, <laughs> it was all things about like goes to the temple twice a month, an active member of the church, um, like, like all these things kind of relating to like staying in the church. And I think I, and I remember setting other goals like that. And I think it was because I did have this fear of like, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's sort of daunting. I think Potentially, especially if you are in upstate New York and there's not a ton of other Mormons around and you just kind of look forward at your life and you're like, is this, this is, you can kind of see what it's going to be, you know, from an early age. Like it's going to be fairly structured and, you know, some rules that you're going to like have some strict adherence to so that you can be a good member of the church. And if you're, yeah, if that doesn't connect with you super strong, I could see how it would, it would maybe be like tugging at you to be like uh or just uh starting to realize you know as you go through puberty like huh that seems like it might be kind of hard to like stick to yeah definitely as you go through puberty um yeah yeah for sure and i think just for the long time you just believe that it's worth it you know like um because i mean even members of the church will tell like no one's saying that it's easy you know like Sure. You know, you go to a church meeting and most of the, you know, discourses that are given are about how hard it is. Um, but, uh, it's a lot of self-discipline. Yeah. Which I don't think is, again, I just don't think is bad all the time. Like, no, like no. Discipline is, discipline is super constructive and I think is, uh, can create and, a lot of positivity yeah. in your life when you, when you are a disciplined person, even though it's, it's hard to be. In all aspects. Yeah, also, 
It, it's a big. There's a big payoff to yeah, it. I think. What do you? What the fuck do you think these monks are doing up in in the mountains? You know, yeah. these Buddhist monks. <laughs> you think they're just like jacking off and drinking whiskey all day? No, it's an intense. It's a crazy amount of discipline. They wake up like at four a.m. every day and like have this like set regimen of things that they do. Um, yeah, so that they can try to have to make room for an encounter with with something bigger. I think is sort of the idea. Yeah, and I think. I think that I benefited a lot from that discipline, to be honest. Like, especially from, like, serving a mission. Like, um, that's where I I am conflicted even now with the church because it's, like, so much of who I am and so many good things that I like about who I am or that I like about my life have come from it. But then, then I also kind of resent certain aspects of it too you know and it's just like it's just hard to reconcile sometimes yeah you know know what man as someone that is almost 35 so like about 10 years older than you i think that you're gonna have that no matter what though like whether you're raised mormon or not you know you're gonna have those 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 things that you kind of resent i think is just like a part of of any life path yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and sussing out the things that, that serve you well uh, from your from your childhood or upbringing and the things that maybe not so much that you want, like you said, that you need to, you know, sort of deconstruct and maybe toss aside or, or rearrange. Yeah. And I, I'm starting to catch more and more of a vision for myself. When I first left the church, it was kind of, it felt like a real free fall, you know, like, um, but like, and I used to really worry about like, well, when I have kids, you know, down the road, the church was kind of like the blueprint for raising kids in some ways, you know? Right. Um, right. And I used to be like, how am I even going to do that? And now I have friends who have left the church and I see how they do it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll probably do it a little bit like that. And then a little bit like this and, you know, and yeah. it's, it's starting to become more and more clear and less and less of like, panic because i think that was what i really felt at first was like okay i'm letting go of this thing now what do i have to hold on to you know right it's scary to uh to exit the sort of like comfort zone that you were that you grow up in whether it's religion or you know playing football or whatever yeah you know like i can't even imagine the existential crisis of a of a 18 year old kid who gets a scholarship, you know, to play D1 football and then first year during practice, like blows both knees in some bum play. And it's just, it's done. Everything that they set themselves up for, it's over. The fall, they, have to find, yeah. they have to find something new now. And like, it's sort of similar to that where it's like, all right, well, how, what's my identity now if it's not tied into this religion? Yeah. The fallout from that is tremendous. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, I think it's, um, and it's so, the consequences are just so huge, you know, like, if you, I just remember having moments where I was like, okay, well, I could definitely get through this life without the church, but then what if I die and I'm wrong and the church was right and I'm just like, I'm not going to see my family again. And right. they're all going to be okay. They're all going to be in this, in like what we call like heaven, the celestial kingdom. And they're going to be like, 
oh, Jake didn't make it. <laughs> you know, like it's terrible. It's really, I understand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the consequences are just so far reaching. I mean, we're talking about eternity. Um, sure. And like, I, I think the, I don't know, man, I think gambling on maybe, uh, pursuing like a path that seems more in line with you is, is a little more in line with like some of the core teachings of Jesus in the Bible, you know, is just like trusting in your own faith. And like, if that, if part of your own faith is, you know, exploring outside of the Mormon religion and, and exploring your spirituality elsewhere, I think you'll get to where you, you want to be if that's what you're seeking. Yeah. I mean, now I've definitely, I don't feel like I've arrived, but I've arrived at his place where I totally feel that it's just like, there's, um, if I had stayed in Mormonism, I think there's, there is like, there was a path for me and there was a way I could have done it. And I think I could have chosen to, you know, but I feel like I would have missed out on so many other forms of spirituality and so many other ideas and just ways of living, you know, I feel like sometimes people, when you leave the church, they assume it's just because you want to drink or smoke weed or, you know, have sex or whatever. Cause it is like, you have to live such a rigid life as a member of the church, but right. I mean, there's so much more than that outside of the church, you know, it's uh, it, like, there's, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm not really explaining it well, but I just feel like I would have missed well, out not just on like the fun things, but on like deeply spiritual things that exist right, outside like living, of the boundaries of the church. Yeah. Living in the mystery of, of the free fall, like you said, I mean, you can, you don't get that within the confines of like a rigid belief system. Um, when you, when you break out of that, as terrifying as it is that you, yeah, get to like lean into the mystery and uncertainty of all things and of life itself and being itself. And I think that is deeply, deeply spiritual. It's sort of like the primordial soup of any spirituality or yeah, any spiritual practice. Yeah. I love actually what you just said about kind of, what did you say? Leaning into the mystery? Yeah, the mystery yeah. and the uncertainty. So, I, I've been kind of getting into Richard Rohr. Yeah, and yeah. Are you guys into him? We're a big Richie fans. Rohr. Are you we, kidding me, dude? Yeah, he's yeah. so good. Do you know what he says he about? Gets, um, he gets shout-outs on this podcast frequently. Yeah, he's so cool. I love what he has to say. Like, just his take on Christianity makes me feel like it's not uh, a kind of a dead religion. You know. Right. Um, but he said something like the mystery, something that is truly mysterious isn't something that, that isn't knowable. It's something that is infinitely knowable. And I, yes, dude, you continue to discover new yeah. things and then you realize that there's so much more that you get to continue to discover forever and ever. Yeah. I probably butchered Absolutely. that, but something like that, but it's like no, I think you, in I think a Richard you know Rohr that. way. Um, yeah. but like. Yeah, in the church, everything felt so, as much as we talk about eternity and endless knowledge, everything did feel so finite. Like, here's the answer to this. Here's the answer to this question. Whereas outside of it, it's like, okay, this is, there's just like infinite answers to infinite questions. And it's so cool. So what's really interesting to me about, and another thing that we learned from this guy, Luke, who uh, grew up Mormon as well, was he was like, you know, 
in Mormonism, unlike maybe Christianity, where like if I went to my pastor and was like, hey, I'm having trouble understanding this concept of fearing God and yet God is like all loving like, it seems like a contradiction. This is an actual conversation that I had when I was a freshman in high school. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I, I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't seem to, to fit for me. And, you know, he threw a couple things out there, but mostly he was just like, yeah, I mean, there's so much that we don't know because God is such a mystery and we just don't know. We just don't know. And Luke was saying like, yeah, in the Mormon church, they just have an answer for everything. Like, it might be kind of wonky, but like, they're going to give you an answer it's there's there isn't a lot of like oh we're not sure it's a lot of like oh no we know and what it is is it's it's this yeah i mean was that your experience yes to a degree they have an answer for everything but then also a lot of times you do get like kind of this um sort of answer that's like well all things will be made known to us in time just like i over and over and over again i had bishops telling me like okay take that question you have about you know why africans Amer- african americans were treated this way in the in this in the church and just like take that and just put it on a shelf and as you gather more information and you you know the lord makes more stuff known unto you you'll you can take that off the shelf and you'll have it and revisit it basically i guess is like table it revisit it later and I get, I just got so tired of that, you know, like sure. my shelf just Did got you, huge, you know? Yeah. Did you recognize something like that specifically as like an injustice right away? Like something that bothered you? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think the hypocrisy in the church always bothered me. Um, and I mean, I personally only had to deal with it in, you know, I, I had to deal with, minor manifestations of hypocrisy like i remember on sunday when i was supposed to be wearing like a white shirt and tie if i was wearing you know a blue shirt people would say things to me or if my hair was long people would be like you know and mind you i was like 14 and so i ha- so i was you know at that point i was considered someone who held the priesthood um because they give you the priesthood of god when you're 12 um, that's a, that seems and, like a lot to take on. And so they would tell me things like, well, a priesthood holder, like as a priesthood holder, like you might want to consider, you know, cutting your hair, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And it, yeah. I just remember being like, what the fuck? Like, this just isn't, yeah, th- that's like, just not, not what adult? it's about. Like, are you kidding? Like, that's, right. that's the important thing here. You know, like I'm 14 and I'm yeah. at church. Like. Yeah, what more do you really for you? want? Dude, I, I'm totally with that. I tried to wear hats, like baseball hats, to church all of the time. Like, all the time. And, I like, sometimes people would say something to me about it. I'm just like, I'm here. Like, just like you're saying. Like, I'm I'm here at this thing. Ready to receive the good has word. has nothing and... to do with me receiving this or not. And, like, See, I'm not their disrespecting. would have been, like, the baseball cap will get in the way of the transmission <laughs> between you and Lord Jesus. So in that regard, they His had a valid can't point get through that baseball. Game. Yeah. Yeah. No. In his infinite power, uh, but, and it sounds petty. Piss me off, it's, it's, it sounds petty, right? But it's just, it's a manifestation of a larger problem, which is just, uh, people being, uh, 
completely and totally pharisaical yeah. and missing the mark, you know? Yeah, sure. like, like you have to be in some specific uniform or outfit to receive the message. Uh, yeah. Like, I, re- I like, I, and I totally respect, like, rituals, you know, like, and and maybe the intent of, you know, maintaining some traditions of the intent of putting on some sort of, like, religious garment to practice something, but... Um, I don't know, just just the petty ones of like a hat or something, or like you're saying, like you wore a blue shirt instead of the white shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's like what's happening, man. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's really too bad because it just takes so much away from you know experiences mm-hmm. that could be happening for people. Um, um, talk to us a little bit about your about your mission. Oh and yeah! Like how old? How old were you? Like what was that process like? Where'd you go? What was it like? How many people did you save? Oh I'm man! Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just people kidding. without number. On that last one. <laughs> no. And, um, and and also like, what was your mindset going in? Were you were you kind of in this space where you're questioning this stuff already and about to take on this two year mission? Um, I felt like I had had some experiences leading up to it where I was like, okay, no, this is what God wants me to do. This is, this is right. You know? Um, and I was definitely unsure about it, but I kind of just was like, all right, I'm going to do this. You know? Um, like I felt like I was like, I don't have a perfect understanding of this, but I feel like I understand it enough to believe that, you know, the church is true and it's worth serving a mission. And so I went, when I was 19, I went on a mission to France, um, which I was really excited about it. Like I learned French more or less, you know, and, um, where in France, the South of France. France. So my, the mission boundaries, you know, covered basically the Southern half of France and then French speaking Switzerland. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and, you know, my mission is complicated. I never felt like I was lying to people. But even on my mission, I think I had some doubts that I kind of didn't let myself explore, you know. Um, and... Like doubts about just the practice of, of, like, proselytizing or doubts about the religion itself? Um... It's, I don't know. Um, I definitely felt funny proselytizing, but I did it. I did it every day, you know? Um, and they really, it's just really, um, I don't know. So, you, so when you serve a mission, you go to this place called the MTC, the Missionary Training Center. They have a couple, um, but the big ones here in Provo. So I came here to Provo. It's my first time living in Provo. I was in the missionary, the missionary training center for six weeks, and uh, they teach you the language and they kind of teach you about like, kind of how to approach people and how to, I don't know, some, tact- it's some a sales tactics, some tactics, <laughs> um, yeah, strategies. And I didn't. Yeah. The thing is, though, what's so crazy is I just didn't recognize it at the time. You're just so swept up in the excitement of going to France right. and like, they feed you like these ideas like. This is like, you kind of feel like you're about to change your life and you're about to like change a bunch of other people's lives, which is arguably true. Um, but they, there's like this feeling of excitement in the MTC that is actually, it was really 
it felt really cool. Like I'm, I'm not gonna lie. When I'm sure, I'm sure older members of the church. Is it ju- is it just men that go on missions? Or um, do women go on missions? Women too? go on missions too. With men, it's kind okay. of more expected. With women, I mean, no one's like full on forced, but with men, it's a little bit. It's right, heavy it's handed, and then women, women it's, it's like, like you're getting married. Hey, if you want to do this, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no pressure. No pressure. It's all cool. Yeah. I just yeah. imagine that like older men in the church for them, they're like, ah, I remember my mission days. Best years of my life. Like that kind Dude, of, you hear I that kind of shit. Not, so there's just, like, a movie amping you up. Produced. I don't think it, it wasn't produced by the church, but it was produced by church members. And it's about uh, pe- these missionaries. And the title of the movie is The Best Two Years. Like, it, yeah. it is right. it's hyped up your whole life you're looking forward to your mission um, right. well yeah I mean even thinking about it as someone outside of, of Mormonism I mean thinking about it when I I, I, knew, I knew some friends that went on missions around that age and I was like you're gonna go do what for like two years in another country yeah and then like looking at it now though I'm just like I would have signed up for that. Like, yeah, just de- for the experience of living in another on, country. Yeah, depending on where you... Do you get to pick where you go? No, you submit your application, and the leaders of the church pick for you, and members believe so that what, it's like... What are some of the what are some of the bullshit hands that you could pull where they're just like, all right, you're going to... to Boise, Idaho, like, or... Like, like, you could end up with somewhere in the States that's just... Like, I think I've had Mormon missionaries come to my door in Portland. Oh, yeah. There's Absolutely. tons of them in the States. Um, yeah. Lots of people go stateside. That's cool. I thought I was... That I would, had this feeling before I opened my mission call. Like, you get it in the mail, old-fashioned style. And I, I yeah. thought for sure I was going to go within the States. If um, you... What if you... Could you request, like, hey, I don't want to go to Brazil. I really want to stay in America. Yeah, actually. Because yeah, of there's, my family there's like situation check, or something. Like, are you? I think the question, if I remember right, and it may be changed by now, but um, the question was like, "How interested are you in learning another language?" And you, you know, right? Yeah. Answer. Um, For sure. Yeah, but uh, what, what was uh, what was like a, your day to day like on uh, your mission? So, so you wake up at six thirty, and that's like. Uh, a big deal like people's there's kind of like this idea that like if you wake up at 6 30 that like sets the tone for your mission like if you can wake up at 6 30 every day that means that you're gonna follow the rules and you're gonna you know be a good missionary obedience is a huge thing like obedience 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 is what you're you know told discipline yeah yeah um okay yeah. so you wake up at 6 30 you work out for half an hour uh and uh, then at seven, not yoga though, right? Uh dude, I'm gonna be honest with you. I just pretty much did like a. I don't even know if it passed for yoga, <laughs> but um, you did some, some stretching. stretching. Yeah, man. <laughs> I I just never been one to like really work out, and uh, for a while on my mission, I would skateboard while my companion would jog. I found a skateboard like in a dumpster, oh, yeah. <laughs> and. Nice. Uh, so I'd skateboard alongside my companion, but for most, for, for the most part, like I wouldn't even leave the apartment to work out. And that's another thing you can't, you have to be with your companion all the time. 
Um, and did, did you know this person prior to heading out? No, you, um, or do you, you just, meet you get assigned companions. Yeah. You don't choose, you just get assigned companions and they actually mix it up every six weeks. You get a call and they tell you if you're going to stay with your companion or if you're going to go to a different area, you know, a different part of France in my case. Okay. Um, and then at eight o'clock you start studying. And you do personal study for an hour. Then nine o'clock, you do um, companionship study where you guys kind of talk about what you learned. And you, in our mission, we would recite things every day. Um, like we would recite our purpose. Uh, it was like our purpose is to invite others to come into Christ through faith, repentance, baptism, the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you recite that every day. And then at 10 o'clock, you do an hour of language study. Um, And then usually I'd go out and do an hour of contacting where you're just like approaching people on the street or knocking doors. Uh, And then come back in for lunch for an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, do you ever get to eat or you just exercise? Oh, yeah, breakfast was in there somewhere. Breakfast was in there before (laughs) 8, like around 7.30, I think, or something. Got it. Yeah, then you eat. And then you go back out and I mean, and what's good with the wait? what's good with the food though. Like, do you get, do you get to eat like some good local French stuff or yeah. Do you have to, do you have to like eat just whatever the mess hall gives you? So there's, you're like in a town by yourselves. Like okay, you and your so companion you have, like have an apartment and, you're, and you're, you can be like a hundred miles away from an, another missionary, you know, like there's not right. really like. It's not like it's not scout camp, you know. And it's not, yeah. You're not supervised by like some older dude who's like there ringing is, a bell. Yeah, not at least not day to day. There is a mission president who lives in France for three years, or wherever the mission is, you know. But um, and he oversees everything, and you know, every now and then you'll have an interview with him, and you'll just check in and see how you're doing. And cool. I so, bet that that guy's really cool. Actually, dude. <laughs> He was like, I feel like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like, the dude, I'm just thinking he of was a cool guy. He was just like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going home. I don't care about like girls are getting married, whatever. Like I'm just doing, this is my best option. Oh, is no, to dude, just he's old. He's, he's older and he's married. He's not oh, like, okay, he's not okay. a young missionary. I'm thinking, oh, of like, see, yeah, I'm thinking that, it was the next step right after your mission. They're like, hey, if you want to do yeah, it's a like, missionary it's like a promotion. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Exactly. Um, okay. That no, makes no sense. they're like he usually in their fifties. Like, the best move. Yeah. Because he was like, move. this is an opportunity for me. My kids are out of the house. This is an opportunity for me to leave the wife for a few years, you know, give us, give us some time. No, the wife yeah. comes with him. Never mind. Come on, Daniel. (laughs) Of course the wife comes with. Everybody's coming with. Sorry, I feel like you guys keep going like, so this must have sucked. And I'm like, actually, no, it was kind of awesome. This is is the best. Um, Yeah, uh, for sure. So did you you guys just have, yeah, money that you were given to buy food and groceries and stuff each week and whatnot? um, Yeah, so it's like money that you pay to go on a mission and then it's given back to you, um, you know, once a month. And so, okay. yeah, I mean, it was always tight, you know, but enough, like we would eat, we would get cheap food and, and then sometimes members would feed you not a ton in France. Like I have friends who serve missions in like South America and every day they had, you know, dinner yeah, provided, some, but it's cool. Some it's whatever. Some was just like 
come on in and get some food? Well, like, yeah, just it's kind of part of the church culture. Like every Sunday you go to church and you shake hands with the members and kind of socialize. And it really, I'm just going to tell you guys straight, I loved a lot of those members, but sometimes I'd be talking to them and I'd just be like, please invite us over for food this week. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and especially being in France, I mean, the food was. You're awesome. talking about members of the members of the church yeah. who are in another country. Yeah, yeah. How common is that? Like, how many how many LDS churches are there in fucking France or South America? Like, Dude, South America is like insane. South America blew up in the '80s. Like, you know, okay. so many so baptisms. But then France is not the same. Uh, like Europe is. The church is not big in Europe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's not that many, basically, what, what is the would, answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, like, what was, uh, did you find that there were a lot of people that were willing to listen to what you and your companion had to say? Uh, No. <laughs> It was like a pretty low percentage of people that actually are welcoming to you uh, wanting to spit some knowledge at them. I mean, that wasn't really my approach. I was always trying to be not like, hey, you need this kind of missionary. Yeah, but sure. um, but no, nobody, nobody wanted to really listen. I mean, we had – we would teach – you keep track of you keep track of like all the lessons you teach and you report them every week and stuff and you kind of um but and we would teach a few lessons a week um but man it was rough so much rejection and so many people by teach a lesson you mean somebody was like okay I'm willing to like hear you out for a minute and then you like drop a little nugget on them yeah just drop a big okay. old mormon nugget um, there you go. No, like... Nothing like it. You could... Yeah, it's like you meet someone in the street, and you, you know, you chat with them. In fact, I would always try to, like, start conversations without being like, hey, we're missionaries. Which, I don't know, maybe is worse, because I probably started talking to people being like, oh, hey, that's a cool dog you have. And then try to, like, right. slide into, like, Jesus. Um, that's yeah. just real. That's real sales, though. Yeah, you know? that's how it's done, dude. I honestly, this is where it's difficult, too. though. Is I honestly believed it was like what God wanted me to do, and I mean, and the thing is, I had some amazing experiences, and I was able to actually do like. There were times we would, uh, you know, teach French classes and English classes, like French classes for immigrants. They were. You know, and like there were amazing experiences intermixed with like a lot of the kind of bullshit of a right, mission, just like you know? more standard like service experiences that didn't really have anything to do with the church. But yeah, still like, just, like giving it was back enough to, to keep me there. I think if every day I was just supposed to be like going out to people and just yeah dropping nuggets on them, I feel like I don't think I would have made it to be honest. Because I sure I yeah. do feel like. You know, I I served a mission and I did what I was supposed to and I was obedient, but I feel like I still did try to keep some of my humanity and I wasn't just like, 
got to teach these lessons, got to get a baptism kind of thing. Like, because I mean, also I, I feel like missionaries in who have that mentality don't make it in France. Cause you're just not going to teach your lessons. And you're not going to have baptisms, you know? So, right. Right. No, it's not, I don't know. Like whether you identify with it now or, or not, it seems like it was obviously a super valuable experience for your life. And you like learned a lot from it. Totally. Just living with another person, like l- living with the companion you didn't choose. Like you learned so yeah. much, that's some serious life skills for sure. Yeah. Did you have more? Th- how many companions did you have over two years? Too many to count, or no? I had, I want to say like nine, nine or ten. Okay. Yeah, like some better than others, but sure. Mostly. Would you would you ever have discussions with them about like what are we doing here? <laughs> like or just. Just kind of uh, more existential questions about religion or the spirituality or anything? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it, with certain companions, I felt like I could be have like late night discussions where we're just like... Express like, some doubt, what is, maybe? I don't know. I don't think I, don't think I expressed doubt in a really... I don't think I ever was like, dude, I do not know if any of this is true because I really wasn't feeling right. that at the time. You know, I wouldn't have been there sure, it's if not, I was feeling it's that. It's not overt doubt. But, it's, it's something much subtler. But yeah, I, I remember having conversations like, man, I hope the church moves in a less sexist direction or right. like, it's, I, like we were kind sort of, of optimistic I mean about it's, way, it's, the ways the church could change in the future. And that's as critical right. as I think I dared get, you know. Right. It's just like certain doctrines or practices being like, that one could maybe be reimagined into something better, or evolved yeah. into something better. Yeah, like we could definitely have like new agey Mormon discussions, but they were always within the boundaries of Mormonism still, you know? Sure. Is there also, uh, like when you're done with the mission, is there a uh, decompress process where you go back to that that center where you started? No, you're just... Well, just get spat out. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you just go home, like, to your family. And okay. and most families, I feel like, know how to um, help you. For example, my parents, I, I think, did a good job of kind of keeping me busy. Because on the mission, you're always on the go, always doing stuff. And so there is at least a phase where you're kind of readjusting. And I mean, some sure. people come home and they go right to school and... You know, but, but most people kind of plan it so that there's a few months to readjust. Yeah, for sure. So what what did you do when you came back from your mission and sort of where were you at? So you come back from your mission, you're 21 now. Yeah. And so now you're getting close to this point where you're sort of like... um you know, make the decision to leave the church, but where were you when you left the mission? Like what happened between your mission and you being 22 and deciding that maybe like you wanted to try something else? Um, that's a good question. Um, did you end up going to BYU out in Provo? No, I didn't go to BYU. I started going to Utah Valley university. Um, is that also a very, it's kind of, 
Mormon there's there's lots of Mormons like who go there, yeah. But then it's kind of everybody who's not Mormon goes there, you know. Okay. So there's a good mix. Okay. Um, I would say it's probably half Mormon, which is still crazy coming from New York that it'd be half Mormon. But you know, compared to BYU, right. where it's not only 100% Mormon, it's like 100% mega Mormon. You know. Um, right. And what was your? Why did you head out to Provo? Um, I partly because I thought I was going to, you know, get married and kind of live the kind of stay on track, you know. Um, right. And I wasn't where, one of those. Where else to go but to meet a young Mormon girl? Then yeah, Provo. Yeah, right. And I wasn't like planning on getting married super fast, but I wanted to be out here so I could meet Mormon girls and. Um, and then part of it was actually, we do have kind of a cool little music scene out here and I'm, um, wanted to be somewhere that, you know, I didn't want to go to New York city or LA or something, but I wanted to go somewhere that had a little scene that could like, start a band yeah, and whatnot. Talk to me about where music fit in to all of this in your upbringing. I mean, did you play music in the church? Where, where did this like... Where did this come from? Because you're in this band called Harper's, which is really great. Um, and I really like your, your songwriting. You guys are a killer band. Um, and you're all pretty young. And I'm just curious like where, where this came from. Because um, I also don't necessarily feel like, at least from the songs that I've heard, um, it doesn't seem like you guys were like a Mormon band in terms of like what you're singing about, right? Yeah. Well, I think we sing a lot about the faith crisis but yeah we're sure. definitely not a worship band um, right right i guess that's what i mean um yeah i um but yeah as far as like what it how music was when i was growing up i didn't play in the church i mean there's not really opportunities to play we don't have a church band i mean you can accompany the choir on on the piano but yeah, I didn't were you do that. able to listen to like any music that you wanted to growing up? Um, yeah, I mean, within reason, within reason, like I, maybe like death metal and and yeah. like some NWA and stuff was maybe like off the table. But so the way it worked at my house or my parents' house was, you know, we'd get our statement from iTunes every month, and they'd kind of like glance over it, and you'd settle up like whatever I had bought on iTunes that month, I'd pay them, you know. And then sure. also that that was also an opportunity to kind of just catch anything that was a little bit, you know, on the edge. Um, <laughs> like I remember, I bought the White Stripes song "Icky Thump," and my mom and I went through the lyrics because she looked at it. And she's like, "What is Icky Thump?" And she googled it and pulled up the lyrics and like set me down. And we went through it, and she's like, "Yeah, I think we should maybe delete this one from." our library and let me also say my parents are awesome like i love my parents um like i'm glad they i'm glad they, they were they care yeah exactly like they cared yeah <laughs> so that's did cool. they introduce you to any cool like 60s 70s music that like stuck with you uh we were big on john denver okay i don't know if that qualifies i think he's cool but um and, uh, I mean, yeah, the Beatles, they were, they're not super into music, to be honest, but, um, they definitely introduced me to some stuff. 
Um, but uh, were you were you like encouraged to take music lessons though? Yeah, yeah. And when I got to middle school, I started getting more into music, and I joined the school band as playing drums, and um, and then yeah, they were super supportive of um of me doing I don't music. Know if, I, I don't know if this is true, but I have found that all of the Mormon people I know are encouraged to play music as kids and they're all incredible musicians. Like they're all so fucking good. And yeah, I don't know if it's just because it's greatly encouraged within the culture. I don't know. I mean, there's a piano in like every American Mormon family's house, I swear. It's the discipline. Ha- it's the discipline maybe to learn that. that goddamn piano. Yeah, maybe. As a child. Maybe. Or maybe it's like, there are a lot of really awesome Mormon, or formerly Mormon artists, and Mormon artists, but um, but maybe Dude, it is just the anguish. One yeah. that I know. It's, it's, it's the, so good at music. It's the emotional trauma from growing up in the church, that like when you get out of it, you're like, <laughs> oh man, I'll start a band. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So you come to Provo, um, you know, you're, you're no longer serving your mission. You're sort of like trying to do, take the right steps to continue on, on this path. What, what happens? Like, do you have a moment, a revelatory moment? Um, or is it sort of like a slow progression? You know, it doesn't really sound like something you were necessarily looking for in terms of like an out from the church. You were sort of doing all the things um, that would be sort of considered like on the path. So what what happened? Um, I think in some ways I thought my mission would kind of uh, like fix the doubts I had. You know, I I felt and I felt like if I could do a mission, by the time I got home, I would have had the experiences you know, on my mission that, that were, I felt like I would have these undeniable spiritual experiences. Um, and while I did have some undeniably spiritual experiences on my mission, they were all like teaching refugees French, you know, it wasn't telling people that Joseph Smith saw God, the father and Jesus Christ. It was like some other human connection that just is deeply profound. Yeah. And I don't, I, it's not like I came off my mission thinking, wow, my only really amazing spiritual experiences were not really, uh, I don't know, church specific, you know, I've, I've kind of been unpacking all that much, much later, but I think it, at the same time it planted the seed where I realized, where I started to realize like, you know, maybe there's more than this you know, this, um, religion, you know, maybe there's spirituality outside of this. And I became really disenchanted with a lot of the pharisaical, um, just attitudes that you see in the church, which you see in any church, you know, that's not Mormon specific either, but. Which is hilarious that it's the same story. Of basically the, the of Jesus the of the New Testament so railing against Pharisees, and then the church somehow becomes the Pharisees, 
Yeah. And I mean, I had a similar experience. It wasn't all that. I also had some really, and that's some beautiful people and had deep, meaningful connections with people. But um, the overarching form of the church, I remember, like I went to a mega church in Colorado and it was deeply political because there were, you know, by the time I left, we were pushing like 7,500 members of this church in one single location. Right. So like we're doing six services a weekend. That's a big donation basket, Daryl. Yeah. We're talking, (laughs) it's a big church with a big administrative staff, like an office that is separate from the church building, uh, in a different part, like of the, you know, fucking town or whatever. And, um, yeah, the youth group like had its own building and like, like it was massive and it was super political because there were a bunch of people that worked for this church full time. There were people who did like full time, you know, multimedia marketing or whatever. And, um, yeah, you start to see like the human aspect of it where you're like, oh, the pastor was just kind of a dick to that person and like totally fired them for super personal reasons and nothing to do with anything spiritual. Mm. That's kind of fucked up. Like, and you just start, yeah, you see some of the politics behind it. And it's sort of like you, when you get that peek behind the veil, you're like, wait, isn't that not like exactly what Jesus said not to do? Yeah. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. And I think. I mean, that's like surface level stuff, right? Like you start, the hypocrisy is so, anyone can see it. Like, I don't think I'm more enlightened or more sensitive to it. I think everybody sees it. But then I think as I acknowledged that, it kind of forced me to acknowledge there are so many things I don't agree with, even just doctrinally, you know? You know, and uh, yeah, it's just, I think that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg you know, um, and I just slowly started to realize more and more things I just don't agree with. Sort and of like a snowball, a snowball effect of like you chip away at a couple things here or there, and then it starts to like unravel itself a little bit. I know I'm using all the, all of a sudden I just used three metaphors in one sentence in terms <laughs> of like a snowball picking up momentum, chipping away at something, and then a uh, unraveling of something, but. They all kind of yeah. The snowball that unravels down the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's totally that. And it was kind of like I opened. I started looking at things through a different lens. Is how I feel. You know, it's. Sure. I was like, I started looking at things from outside the church, and realizing, right. you know, that there is a way to look at it outside the church, and there's a way that makes sense to look at it outside the church, and. And I just realized I just fundamentally disagree with some basic, some of the basic um, teachings of Christianity, you know? Sure. What are, what were some of your first ones that you were, that you came across where you were just like, all right, like, that's it. I definitely don't, I definitely don't get down with that one. I know it now. Um, I, I think I always struggled with the idea of Jesus Christ being the savior of mankind, <laughs> like, sure. which is a big one. This, yeah. Um, this one person, like I struggle with that too of like, so what about somebody who just like lives in the, you know, Amazon rainforest, some indigenous tribe never comes in contact with the notion of Jesus. 
Yeah. What is that person supposed to do? And I was always given this, you know, I think the best example I was given was sort of mystical, which is like, well, they'll have their own encounter with Christ. You know, maybe it's sitting under a tree. Maybe it's looking at a flower. Mm. Like Jesus is still, and I was like, that was actually probably a pretty good answer. Cause I think, I yeah. think they could have gone a lot of other ways, but it is um, just like, it's a little troubling, even just like, just the details of it and the logic of it doesn't seem to quite hold up. Yeah. And it's like this unknowable thing. And everybody says that, right? I remember asking questions like, so how does that work? How does him atoning, you know, somehow I come out the other side and I'm pure. How does that work? And everybody, you know, all my bishops and leaders were like, yeah, no one really, it's just so powerful. No one really understands it, but it works. And I think even before you get to that part, I struggled with this whole idea that man is an enemy enemy unto God and that we are fallen and that we're, this life is this huge trial. It's like, no, this life is such a blessing. We're not, I don't think it's, I don't know. I, I, I felt like we spend so much time thinking about like, like people would get up in church when I was a kid and they'd say like, Oh man, I, I'm just going through these trials right now and it's really hard. And I just know that after this life, all the wrongs will be made right. And you know, these trials will all be worth it. And then I'd, go to church as an adult and I hear people get up and they're talking about how hard it is being single and being single is a trial. And I think it can be, I think it can be hard, but it kind of felt like everything in the church was a trial. And like, it was all, I felt like the church people in the church sometimes just don't live, forget to live in the present and miss out on, you know, all the great things right. about well, the this notion, life, you know, the notion of heaven makes that incredibly difficult to truly live in the present and to find, you know, the kingdom of heaven in the now as, as Richard Rohr would maybe say, or even like a Eckhart Tolle or like all these spiritual teachers talking about sort of heaven being, it's this seen and unseen thing. It's so close yet so far it's right here and you just kind of have to tap into it. But if you think of heaven as this thing, at the end of the line, many years away at the end of your life, then it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, I sort of understand from that perspective, the disdain for life itself. Cause you're just like, Oh, I just got to trudge through this shit. And then yes, I get to the good stuff. Yes. And then you look back and you're like, Oh, this shit was actually really amazing. You know, would have been if you had switched up your glasses. Yeah, <laughs> and like you said, yeah, you need a new lens. You just need a new lens. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like, it's it, there's nothing more frustrating to me. And at the same time, I don't want to be insensitive to there. I mean, for some people, life truly is a trial, and life is difficult. But for sure, it's Ab- not of course, of us course. white Christians living in America. You know, right? Like. The white dudes in America were goddamn near trial free. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, we, know that we have well bad right days, but man, like, yeah. you, if you're tell, telling me your whole life is a trial, <laughs> like, you need to just, maybe yeah, you just need to, you know, interact with more people. Um, Something. Oh, but at the same time, I mean, I'm sure, I don't want to. I want to be careful. No, we're not in... trying to bash. We're not trying to bash anything, and and we we make it a point on this podcast that like, look, religion is a really valid, uh, a really valid path for a lot of people, 
and if it serves you well then that's great and and i yeah you know but we're, we are interested in you know people's sort of honest uh honest takes on some of this stuff and, and you can share as much or as little as you want um but we're not trying to we're not trying to make fun of it yeah or, or anything like that you know we know it's a it's a serious thing to a lot of people and it means so much yeah i don't to mean a lot to of people that it's bash it um, or um and i yeah i don't feel like okay. you are. this was my point point. and i mean the thing is while aspects of my life fit into that kind of the the story you hear of like somebody who grows up super Christian and is kind of rebelling against it and then you know eventually they break out of it and they're like free and happy I mean there are parts of that but the reality is like a lot of my upbringing was really really amazing and good and my mission a lot of it was really really yeah, awesome you, were, you weren't necessarily leaving something that was like hurting you horribly I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe in some ways it was holding you back, but you were leaving something that was like probably pretty beautiful to you and meant a lot to totally. you. Totally. And the hard parts, the hard part isn't that me and my parents have like this terrible relationship now and I'm mad at them for raising me Mormon and they're mad at me for leaving the church. None of that is, that's, that's not at all the case. The case is, the hard part is that I still really, my parents are my heroes and like I love and respect them. And how do you live how do i live you know according to my beliefs in a way that still honors them and makes them sure. you know feel my appreciation for everything they've done for me even though i've kind of turned away from what they view as the greatest gift they could have given me have you ever had the thought of like oh, it just would be so much easier if i like if i had had the kind of disposition that just wanted to be in it fully yeah, for sure. And it's so, that's the irony is, I think, like we were talking about, you know, at the beginning, everybody in the church, in everybody in the church knows it's hard to be in the church. But what they don't know is it's so hard to leave the church. I feel like so often people who leave the church are viewed as, you know, oh, you lost your faith, yeah. you slipped, or you, you fell. Know, took the took the easy way so that you yeah. could, you know, touch a girl's boob or whatever. Yeah, and it's so much bigger than that, and it's so much harder than that. It didn't happen For on sure. accident, you know. People are not alone in this. People who leave the church agonize over it, and still there are times where it's just, it's really difficult, you know, and... And I don't mean to complain because I chose it, but at the same, but I would just want people to realize that. Well, you did and you didn't, right? Because it's not something that you were necessarily actively seeking. In some ways, it's sort of something that that, and not to discredit your agency in this world, but like it sounds like it's sort of something that sort of like happened upon you. Like almost like if you could have, if you could have truly been pulling all the strings, maybe you would have stayed. Um, and in this case at all, and uh, maybe I'm just projecting cause this is sort of my story. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, anyways, but like maybe it was sort of like a divine intervention for you to leave the church. If that makes sense, you know, like an actual calling from, you know, from the universe or whatever, as opposed to you turning your back on something, it was you turning, <laughs> turning your face towards something, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, I definitely believe, you know, when you, 
Whoa. I'm sorry. Daniel's losing it over here. Oh, man. I'm just such a it's because I'm a no, dipshit. No, you're amazing. You're amazing. I just can't keep it together. I can't, you're you're hilarious today. Killing anyway, it. Sorry. It's fine. That's it's just fine. my take on it. I think for a lot of people, you know, I think if you do go the sort of hedonistic route of like I'm leaving the church and I'm an atheist and I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want whenever when I like whenever I want, then yeah, like maybe that is the easy way in in some road because you're just like shirking all responsibility for anything in your life and like that's a pretty that's sort of like a I th- see that as a very young man's like immature move but man I think almost more I like what you would do in high school and I think that when you turn away because you feel like you even though it would be easier to stay and and would in some ways make more sense which it's sort of what I'm at uh, you know I don't want to project but it is sort of what I'm gathering from your story of like you're in this place of like if you if you oh, if your heart was only called to stay, it's like it is this like path that you see that you can see clearly that makes sense that's comfortable, and instead you just take a step off the cliff. Why would you take the step off? Why would you choose to take a step off the cliff unless there was something that was calling you off of the cliff? Yeah. Whatever you, whatever that is, maybe it's just the mystery alone. It doesn't have to be God or anything divine. But I do, I do think that that's interesting that like, because sort of what you're talking about before, there are a lot of people in the church who, yeah, it's, it has its own challenges, but like a lot of people are staying in the church because it is the easiest thing to do. And so just I don't like, know. they just take the doubt, they put it on the shelf and then, and it's not to diminish their experience, but, um, you know, I think some people are very genuine and I think some people are just kind of coasting in it because they're like the fear of leaving it is just it's tremendous, especially in the Mormon community where, you know, you can get like you could lose some family members over this. Yeah. Depending on your family. It sounds like you didn't, but some people could, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with most of what you said. <laughs> I I feel like. um. I think there are some people who are coasting inside the church. There's some people who are coasting on the outside of the church, but I don't think any yeah. path. I think, I think there are many paths that you can take and I don't think any of them are easy, you know? Yeah. Cause they all lead to the top of the mountain. And so you're, you're climbing one way or another. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's kind of a simple, maybe that's kind of a simplistic perspective you know that, that all paths, but that I think the, all paths are but hard. The key but is is what you're talking about is like the difference between having a path and coasting, because coasting isn't a path. Coasting is just like floating in the ocean. Yeah, there's no path to it. Maybe and maybe that's its own form of something too. Like maybe there's uh, a spirituality to that that's that's worth experiencing. Um, but I also think, yeah, like trying to find your way if you're if you're trying to move towards something if you're trying to move towards a top of the mountain then that's a path doesn't matter if you're doing it within religion or without or whatever like you're you're still trying to to strive towards something that you think is you know hopefully good and useful and gonna serve humanity in a good way totally i don't know yeah i'd agree with that i but um it's it's hard because sometimes i feel like um I I catch myself where I'm thinking like a shitty Mormon, just 
on the other side of the line. And what I mean by that is sometimes I like, I look at people in the church or certain people in the church and I'm like, man, uh, yeah, you're coasting or you're, or sometimes with my friends, I'm like, you should really like, I, I feel like, man, you should just leave the church. You'd be happier, you know? And I feel like I catch myself doing that and I realize, no, I'm just like applying the same sort of pharisaical mentality just on the, I'm, it's no different other than I'm just on the right. other side of the line, you know? Yeah, you're saying I have, I have answers and like the right path over here. Yeah. Come to this side. It's funny. You never get away from it. Like I can't get away from, right. you know, my Mormon roots and I can't get away from pharisaical thinking now and then. I try not to, but it just see, creeps sure. in. You got to let people find it on their own and they're like on their own timeline. Yeah. It seems that's when it seems to work, you know, totally like people need to find whatever it is that tunes them into what they want to be. Yeah. About. Exactly. So yeah, go ahead. You start, you, you start chipping away at this thing after your mission. You're in Provo still. Like, how do you sort of land where you are now and like where are you now in terms of like spirituality and like things like that um that's such a tricky question um so i guess i'll i'll answer the first part first uh like um I kind of yeah i started kind of really lending an ear to these doubts that i think had been there for a long time um, you know, it started with me starting to see some of the hypocrisy, but then everything underneath that and just realizing, you know, I, I kind of don't believe this and I don't believe, um, you know, some of the core foundational principles of the church and Christianity. Um, so I just kind of stopped going to church and I stopped wearing my, you know, Mormons wear garments. I stopped wearing those before I stopped going to church, I think, actually. And then, uh, I don't know. It's been a, such a strange journey. It's not like, it's not always sequential, like where this happened and no, that happened. But I think I just started to realize that there's, there is peace to be had outside of the church, um, which as crazy as it is to think about now, I didn't know if there was when I left, you know? Um, right. You're, I mean, that's like the ultimate leap of faith in a way. Like you said, you still had some doubts about what you, there, you didn't have certainty when you left. You were still like, what if, what if I'm wrong? What if I do miss out on eternity with my family? What if like, I don't find what I'm looking for, on the other side of this, like, yeah, totally. It's not a lot of certainty in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I, where I am now and what I found is, I mean, there is peace and there is a path, you know, and it's, it's the path I'm kind of making, you know, and, and it's, and sometimes I, and it's a path that I, I, I still feel like I'm walking in other people's footsteps. You know, I definitely have, uh, spiritual mentors, and people that have kind of shown me, I feel like I fell, I, I entered this free fall when I left the church 
and I'm lucky that I was kind of, there were people in my life who caught me and were, were really helpful. Um, and so now I, I don't really believe, I'm not really Christian. I do believe in God. Um, and I believe in, uh, I think I believe in valuing the here and now a little bit more. And with that, really trying to, uh, a lot of my spirituality now, I feel like comes from, I know this sounds so new agey and cliche, but it does come from nature. Like there's just so sure. much that nature the, has to uh, offer. Ultimate mystic, man. Yeah. And nature's just the thing that's going to snap you into the holy here and now, yeah. you know, nothing will snap you in like standing on top of a mountain and looking over some beautiful scene. Right. Like, that's going to put you right in it. Now you're, now you're standing with God. Like, yeah. It's here. For it's real. here. And I mean, you read, you read in the Bible about, you know, green pastures and still waters and this beautiful place, but it's, it, and then I'm just kind of like, okay, so like the earth, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, it's all right. It's all, it's right, all here. right here. And it's so good. It's all that's, right here. And that's the good news. It's all right here. And it, there's so yes. much good. You know, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. No Those doubt. moments in nature can also just like make you see how big everything is around you too. Yeah. Like just looking at the ocean is just incredibly peaceful and overwhelming at the same time. Cause you just like realize how big it is. Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, it's its own form of mystical uncontrollable force. Yeah. It's like, uh, you could have one of those most experiences. Actually, that's not in the Bible. That's in, you guys might not know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a Joseph Smith revelation, I think, where Moses has this huge vision and he says, I realize now that man is nothing. Have you guys ever, really? have you guys ever heard that? It, no. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I, yeah. It's not in the Bible then. It's, it's a Mormon thing. Um, but yeah, you have this experience where you're like, yeah, like man is everything, but then also it's nothing. And I yeah. don't know. You guys sound like you've done shrooms. Have you done shrooms? Uh, yeah, we've. Uh, I was just. I was going to reference earlier. When we were talking about getting to the top of the mountain. Uh, Andrew and I. We had a conversation climbing to the top of the mountain uh, while on mushrooms about how we were taking different paths, but we were going to end up at the. the yeah, top. we were living it. <laughs> you know, we we're living all these uh, ridiculous uh, life metaphors as we were climbing this mountain and then going back down. And uh, yeah, definitely done a. A few deep doses. Yeah, I would say my story, like, of leaving religion starts with mushrooms. Really? No way. I don't think that I would have... I certainly wouldn't have done it when I did it. Uh, I think it would have taken me way How longer. How Maybe I'd never... I was like... I was like... Nine, I was like 20, 19 or 20 the first time I did mushrooms. But, like, it didn't... It didn't, uh, the first time was very like, I just was confused and I was like, this experience was not what I thought it was going to be. It's super overwhelming. And like, <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have any revelations. I just was like, F I don't fucking like this at all. Uh, and I, I would say I ha overall had a bad trip, but then, you know, I, I had another one later that year, like out in nature with a friend where I felt like, I felt like I just became one with everything. And I felt like I had the deepest encounter with God that I had ever had before that was totally outside of language. It was, it was the most insanely spiritual moment of my life to date. 
And at the time I put it through a, a Christian lens and was like, wow, that what an amazing tool that I just like communed with Christ or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it sort of did kind of crack me open in a way where I started to question a lot of things. Cause it, it did give me an overall sort of bigger, bigger perspective on, on everything, not just religion, but you know, the whole, the whole deal, society and all the, all the standard psychedelic bullshit. Um, it's all cliche, but it's all kind of yeah. true for me at least. And it was very profound. Yeah. That's cool. Same. Same. Except it happened later. Like I didn't do them until I was 30 and, uh, that's yes. cool though. Yeah, I've never had an I've never had an encounter um, that I identified as close to like a godlike experience than I had in in that in that experience. And uh, yeah, it blew the lid off some things for sure. I mean, I didn't I didn't really ever grow up in any sort of rigid Christianity. I was just oh, kind no? of uh, a a part of my culture, like was just being like a person that grew up going to Catholic church with my mom most of the time, and like most of my mom's side of the family is catholic but it's never been like a militant thing and not everybody goes you know and it's not like every single person in our family is a devout catholic it's just uh you know some of them are and some of them aren't and, and that's so okay a, i just wish that's one thing i wish for great. the mormon church is i wish um we like didn't push people out by trying to keep them in so hard you know like it's okay to be in the middle you know yeah, we can all exist still. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's not like a big like line in the sand at the at the family yeah, parties. Like you said early on, it's a big spectrum. You know, totally. It's a big spectrum. There's no there's no black and white. Yeah. In this in this life. Have Have you uh, done any psychedelics? I've done shrooms a couple times. Actually, I did it my first time in uh, January of this year. Was it a pretty spiritual experience for you? You know, the first time was kind of just crazy. Like I did it in this room, actually, in my room, oh, wow. and uh, I should have done it in nature. I should have done it in nature, and I did it alone. <laughs> yeah. I did it alone the first time, which. Oh wow! I, yeah, I you really went for like that's the next. You gotta, you gotta have maybe experienced it once before before you try to do it like inside by yourself. Yeah. Did you just like throw headphones on and do the full blindfold, like the full? Uh the full hero's dose in the dark? No, so my room has a wood-burning stove, so I, you know, drank the tea and was just watching the fire. And then um, I just kind of was like, I had this weird experience where I felt like I went inside this box, and I have this box in, next to the fire. It's like this wooden, I don't know, this wooden crate thing. And I felt like I went inside it, and it was like dark and then like the universe opened up and then it just got crazy. <laughs> yeah. Blasted and so it was just kind of like yours. It's just kind of overwhelming. And, but then I, since then I've been sure to do it outside and man, it's been really cool. I've had some, you know, yeah, the same psychedelic cliches, but yeah, they're, yeah, like I went outside, yeah, I felt like you, the earth was like breathing with me, and I felt this connection. You feel it. Like, and I felt like more than connection, I felt agreement. Like, my the, the leaves on the trees were agreeing with the with my lungs and the air I was taking in and the air I was taking out, and there was this agreement between the trees and the sun, and just like it's just all about agreement, and it's like and yeah. there are times 
when we as humans, I feel, have broken the agreement, you know, that basically I feel like I've had this overwhelming sense of there's this agreement that everything takes care of each other. And sure, the fox still eats the chicken and there's it's not like as you know, peace and love right. as we sometimes paint it, but it's not Shangri-La yeah. like fully, but like there's this agreement that we need to try harder to, you know, uh, to keep, um, that's kind of where I'm at now spiritually, where it's just like, find the agreement, you know, with, with yourself and nature, with your neighbor, just find the agreement. Is that oh, too? Yeah, st- I don't know. Weird. Maybe that just sounds so no, fucking stoner. But no, I like it. I think <laughs> I like no, it. Dude, I think that's like really nice. That's that has like a really nice sentiment and behind I think it. And what you're talking about too could be, it could be coded in in Christian language oh, yeah. in terms of like that's that's chasing after God. It's trying to find the agreement. Totally. Is how do I lo- how do I love people better? That's chasing after God. Yeah. Like that's being that's having a path. You know. Yeah. How do I serve my community? Like. That Richard Rohr Jesus shit. That's what yeah. we're about. Yeah. <laughs> about double R. In this Bible Buds cult, we're about the uh, Richard Rohr cult. I pray uh, to Richard at night. <laughs> you say Richard. <laughs> Please. Father. Hear my roar. No, I, I think it's pretty incredible when you are on psychedelics where that that lens that it gives you to realize that everything around you is alive is is... It's so next level. Yeah. You just feel things. You're so much more aware of them. And well, and we're talking about all these cliches. And I think what people don't realize about psychedelics is like when you're not tripping, it sounds like dumb cliche to say like, we're all connected. It's all one thing. When you embody it and it, you literally feel it as the deepest truth in within yourself. Like you can't, you can't put that into language. So of course it comes out as a cliche, but when you feel it in your soul deeply that everything is one, that's a different experience. That's not just like a knowing that's not someone being like, Hey, it's true. We actually are all one. Like it's you experiencing the oneness of everything. Well, that's the beauty of that it. So deeply profound. I feel like as humans, we're always looking past the truth. Like Jesus comes and he's like, Hey, Love God, love your neighbor. On this hangs all the laws and the prophets. And then we're like, okay, got that noted. What next do we do? Do we need to build temples? Do we need to wear things? Do we need to like have special prayers? We're looking for the next thing. But then psychedelics deconstruct everything. And you just feel that simple truth that Jesus said was the most important thing. And it's just love. And that sounds cheesy. But hey, right. that's that's Christianity too, it's you know. Truth. It's just right. for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it gets lost once once humans get their grubby hands on it and start morphing it. I mean, we're going through the Bible, you know, various aspects of the Bible right now. I feel like we really get down with so much of the stuff that Jesus says, and then as soon as you get into the New Testament, you start seeing the, the human element of taking Jesus's teachings, and all of a sudden now, like, oh shit, that part was like a, a little bit xenophobic, and like, oh shit, that part seemed like kind of divisive, and like all these things where you're like, that's not really what Jesus was teaching. Yeah. So why would you say that? Um, well, there's 
Yeah, they're too. It just becomes very religious at that the, point. The as government opposed wants to, to control you, man. And spiritual. The government wants to control. Now you, you sound there. like you do shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just um, kidding. But uh, like that's that. There, there are two quotes about Christianity that I really like. One's Gandhi. I think everybody's heard this. Like Christianity is a beautiful religion. It's a shame nobody practices it. The other is yeah. Like I don't know who said this, and I don't know the exact wording, but it's something like. Uh, Jesus was an amazing teacher and an amazing example. I think he would be surprised and a little disappointed that there's a religion made after him. For sure. I've heard that said by a lot of people of just like, and I think Richard Rohr talks about this. Maybe it was Richard Rohr. Um, but like Pete Holmes would will say like, if Jesus were to come back today and see all this whole religion thing, he'd be like, what are you doing? I was telling <laughs> yeah. you to go have your experience of of Christ, you know, yeah. like I was showing you how to become it. I wasn't telling you, and now I wasn't giving you a formula, into, right? And what Richard Rohr is saying now is like, yeah, we're worshiping the signpost that points to the thing, as opposed oh, to just going to the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Which I always really like that. It's got to be your own experience with totally. It. And Joseph Smith Everybody thought that man afraid of giving you that. Joseph Smith, flawed as he was, what do you? He taught that. Yeah, can you? Can you elaborate on, like, a teaching where he, he kind of teaches that? Um, yeah, I think he he has this quote where he says, oh, somebody, you know, he was like the, he was like the mayor of Nauvoo, which became like a really big city at for its time, you know, and somebody visited, you know, from the, from, I don't know, the Chicago paper or something. I don't know. I'm probably getting all this wrong. But basically somebody asked him, like, how do you, you know, lead a religion? And then you like lead these people and you manage the city. How do you do it? And he said, um, he said something like, I teach people principles and then I let them self-govern, you know, it's all about just learn truth and I feel like I'm sounding like I'm really like a big fan of Joseph Smith. It's because I was at a time, but now it's more complicated. But anyways, um, I do think that people quote is cool, man. though. I mean, there's, there's a grain of truth in there, right? It's like, you know, teach sure. people principles. And then after that, they take care of themselves. Yeah. I mean, anybody can have something profound to say and it can be impactful for people. you know. Yeah. And he's an interesting character because he's, I mean... It's hard because, like, part of me still loves Joseph Smith, like, the folk hero, kind of almost like a Robin Hood type guy where he's, like, the United <laughs> States government hates him, you know, but he's leading the people. But then part, then the more I've learned about him after my mission, I feel so conflicted because I still have this childhood or childlike admiration. But then as an adult, I'm like, oh. Yeah, there are some not good things about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough as you get older and, and the world starts to reveal itself yeah. a little bit more to you, you know? And, and I think I think it's got to be hard being a parent and trying to figure out how to, like, raise your kid in this nurturing way, but, like, not pad the world too much because there's going to be a lot of rough moments during the situation but uh yeah and it doesn't matter who you look up to it's they're going they're going to fall short of your expectations at some point you know 
right. Joseph Smith isn't unique in that way um, for all the ways he is unique. But um, in that way, he's not, where it's like, if, it doesn't matter if you're looking at, you know, the Pope or you're looking up to your dad or you're looking up to your mom or, you know, a celebrity or whoever, you know, at some point your your expectations will be dashed and you'll have to deal with it. Yeah. Right. I also like really appreciate and like resonate with what you're talking about as far as uh, not overlooking the now and how like a lot of religion seems to get caught up in in what's going to happen later and i've i've definitely like brought this up and we've talked about this on the podcast of that whole heaven on earth thing just gets overlooked so much and it's in the bible yeah it's talked about that you know to the the point is to like achieve heaven on earth and then get to the next level you know right yeah i mean we've been given everything we need to do that you know there's just there's not a thing that we need that we don't have here i think yeah you know it's i think it's hard it's it's hard though because we have too much i think that's part of the problem you know we have too much stuff it's true we don't have to like rely on ourselves like most people don't have to rely on themselves to go hunt their own food or anything right now you know we have a lot of distractions and the thing a lot to get in the way of like one's like own personal spirituality. Well, that's where I that's feel like true. we've hacked at our own roots, and that's where we've kind of, kind of stepped away from the agreement that I, you know, rant yeah, about. Uh, but yeah, it's like we've uh, we've. I, I'm not someone who thinks we all need to live like the you know like primitive man, but I mean we're just so far from from uh where we were in some ways and then where we could be if we wanted it you know what i mean right yeah well we definitely appreciate you like speaking to your experience like in the mormon like growing up mormon and whatnot it's uh it's always interesting to get to hear somebody's path within something that is kind of kind of foreign to you so to like get to hear like an inside perspective I probably have, I've had like a few Mormon friends that are like pretty close with, but I don't know. To see somebody's journey unfold is, is pretty, uh, is, is nice for perspective. Yeah. Well, it was good to get to know your guys' story a little bit more too. And it's nice to kind of, you know, it always feels like there's a, a really, uh, a line drawn in the sand between Mormons and other Christians. Cause Mormons do consider themselves Christian, but it, and it's nice right. to kind of reach across that and realize there's, there are so many people who are having similar experiences from all different backgrounds. And I don't know. Yeah. There's something there for sure. I think, I think it's good for like, for people to see the humility within things that they don't understand. And that helps them like identify with those people a little bit more. Yeah. You know, like, because there are, like, like Andrew was saying in the beginning, you know, there are a lot of people that know nothing about the religion except what they hear. And it, it can be turned into, like, crazy things, like, you know, like, just immediately going to, well, they think they get their own planet yeah. situation. And, yeah. like, but there's, like, like you were saying, there's, like, a lot of good things. Like, there, there are a lot of good values as well within 
what you were brought up in. Mm. And I mean, everything's crazy, right? I mean, Christianity, right. exactly. like, Christianity is as crazy as Mormonism is, is in lots of ways. You know, but it's just that it's been a part of culture yeah, for 2000 years. It's more readily years, accepted. So it doesn't feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. People are like, heaven everybody, and hell, of course. everybody abuses the power within those places. Usually. Like yeah. It's, that's a very and twist, common thing twist as well. the truth into some wacky shit, because I do feel like every religion has, has core truths that are like, that are deeply true in the sense that like they, they are true for all of humanity things like you know love your neighbor like golden rule type shit you know it's really hard to rail against that and be like actually yeah fuck your neighbor (laughs) your neighbor sucks and uh yeah just just like hate him and maybe kill him like who cares like nobody nobody except for like the crazy people who we don't want in our society are advocating for that everyone is pretty much i mean yeah christianity basically is like the moral backbone of western society in terms of uh yeah just like what we've agreed is right and wrong and Um, there would have been a different moral backbone if we were dealt a different one you know like it would have happened exactly but it just it was christianity you know yeah Yeah. we could have been born in a different country and it could have been something completely different that we most of us would have all grown up with yeah for sure. But I think any people like any people that I've met that are like deep practitioners of, of a religion, like someone like Richard Rohr, they they sort of see yeah, they see the forest through the trees. And so when you point out some stupid tree that's on fire, they kinda laugh and shrug their shoulders and they're like, Well of course, like, you know, it's that's humans. That's the mark of imperfect people doing imperfect things because that's what we all are but the the forest is still the forest like it's still it's still a real thing yeah but then uh, sometimes that's misconstrued and used to keep people in places where they don't want to be you know where i've when i first started stepping away from the church i was told so many times don't just leave because of the hypocrisy because there's gonna be hypocrisy anywhere you look and that's true, but when something is breeding hypocrisy or when when the hypocrisy is representative of a bigger problem, you know. Sure. Anyways, I feel like I'm going down. I feel like I'm talking in a circle now, but um, yeah. I, I, no, you're, I you're great. You're great. And we definitely appreciate your, uh, your vulnerability and like sharing all of this with us. Yeah. This is this has been fun. It's it's been nice. You guys uh Yeah. It has been. Um to wrap it up, you want to uh just read this verse that you shared with us prior to this and just like talk for a minute about sort of like what what that means to you through your current lens? Yeah, sure. Um through your agreement lens. Yes. As I will now refer to it from here, from here yes, on. Yes, thank which you. Which I fuck with heavy. I'm, I'm about it. I like your agreement. Thank lens. you. I do too. I, I think I will apply that to my lens. Hopefully, after this. Well, I don't know. I, it's, it makes sense to me. I'm sure someone could hear that and be like, "That's as bullshit as, you know, anything that." Uh, no, but if Ezra it makes Jeff sense Benson to you, said, then but, that's, that's all. That's all you need to make it your path. You yeah. Know? Uh, so this verse is Psalm 34:14. I'll be reading from the King James Version. 
Yeah, Hell yeah. The metal version. Yeah, dude. dude. Hey, that's like <laughs> that's the Mormon version. That's what we that's what our standby. Um so it's uh, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Um I like the second part better, but the first part's cool too cuz it's like you know shed off you know the bad and then do good. You know, it, I feel like so often um religion can be so negative sometimes in focusing on it's sometimes we define ourselves by what we don't do and how we're not evil but i like how it's like and do good like you have to not it's not just what you aren't but it's what you, you are active. yeah and then seek peace be an active participant oh sorry didn't mean to cut you off no go ahead um and then seek peace and pursue it i mean that's like look for peace and when you find it just go after it you know and um, it's like one of my friends who have kind of been a mentor to me as I've left the church you know I shared with him the, my feelings of being in a free fall and not really I was kind of like well, now I don't know what happens when I die now I don't know you know what to what to believe about you know just yeah. is this. anything anything yeah. anymore like um, and he was like you know just like find your peace and trust it and just keep moving toward it. And it's been kind of a guiding principle for me, you know, where it's just, and maybe that kind of ties into the agreement thing too, not to talk about that more, but like, um, well, I think that's all shit that, that, you know, Jesus might've said though, speak your truth, maybe did say in some ways, um, especially in terms of like, you know, finding your peace and, and leaning into it. I said, Jesus, I think Jesus said that in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, I think it takes courage to seek and to pursue it, you know? I mean, I think it, when, whether that's, like I was saying, no path is easy. If, if your peace is in the church, man, it's so hard to be a member of the church. And, and if you're going to pursue that peace, that's going to be a hard way too. But then if your peace is outside of the church or outside of religion or outside of, you know, something you grew up in and you have to pursue that, that's going to be hard too. But you know, of course, truth doesn't come easily, you know, like, of course, it's going to take of course, a pursuit. Well, I always when when people ask me about mushrooms, um, which is, has happened a number of times in my life where people will come to me and be like, you know, what is this experience and should I do it? And all these things, which <coughs> I can't answer that for anybody. Um, though I, I typically tell people yes. Um, but I, I really can't answer that for anybody, but I always use this sort of metaphor of like, um, you know, in a lot of ways, if you're going to have like a really profound experience on, on psychedelics, particularly mushrooms, like, uh, getting to the, to the top of the mountain where you get to see all the cool shit, it's not fun. It's just like climbing a real mountain. It's hard work and you're like shedding layers and you're questioning why you're even walking up this fucking mountain right now and all of that shit. Um, It's very like, I feel like that is a very good metaphor. And I think it's a good metaphor for spirituality in general too. Nothing worth knowing is, or worth understanding uh, comes like completely free. It, it certainly comes at the cost of like, um, yeah, having to walk up a difficult path. Yeah. 
no matter where you are, like you said, in religion, without religion, like whatever, if you're seeking, um, the seeking itself is, is difficult. So, yeah. And it should be, you know, like, I mean, I, I think it, it makes sense to me that it, it requires you to shed some skin, you know? Yeah. There's a, uh, Yeah. I think it makes it the the payoff is is worth it. Yeah, it's the, it's like the greatest quote that Jesus never said, but it's always attributed to Jesus. The I never said it'd be easy, I only said it would be worth it kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah. like, I don't think that's actually in the Bible, but everyone's like, well, you know what Jesus said, you know. <laughs> um, There's something in the deeper waters. Yeah, like it. Um, well, fucking a man. This has been really great. Yeah. Thank you so much for, thanks for indulging us and, you know, chatting with us for almost two hours about your, your religious experience and like where you're at now. It's, uh, it's now like been an, a very, now there's like even a better link to, uh, our experience meeting you out there in Provo cruising through there. Like this is, uh, this is a very cool conversation. Well, you guys got to come back sometime. And thanks for indulging me. It's been nice to talk to people who yeah, are man. kind of outside. They're not they're not people who have left the church, and they're not people who are still in the church, but they're just like kind of, you guys are a neutral party almost. You know, and it's sure. nice. Like there's no, you know, uh, expectations. Sure. Them. Well, I just got to say, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you, yeah, are, one that you're like clearly like sorting some some of these some of this deeper shit out as opposed to kind of just like running um but also that you have like a community of people because i remember when i met you i guess that was may of 2018 and so this was all super new to you and i yeah i remember eating this burrito with you and asking you questions about it and sort of feeling like man i hope that this guy has some people that he can lean on in fucking Provo. Cause again, I'm ignorant. Like, I, you know, I think of Provo and I just think like, it's like 90% Mormon, which probably isn't no, true. It's it probably kind what, of, like it 50. kind of is man. Like I think. Yeah. So I just, I just remember there. being like a little worried for you. We talked of, like, about it. Yeah. I was I like, man, like I hope, we left. and I think I, I think I remember genuinely telling you like, yo, if you want my number, if you need someone to talk to, I know I'm a stranger, but like, if you need someone, I will lend an ear because like, I was just worried for you, man. I was like, I hope, yeah, it seems like that it's a tough spot to be in, but it seems like you, like you said, it seems like you have found a lot of peace. And so that's very cool to see uh, two years later because really the only uh, interaction I've had with you since is just through like following your band's Instagram. Um, which we will definitely link to in the episode notes, and we'll probably play this episode out with a with a song if that's cool with you. Oh yeah, you. cool. Uh, you can let us know which one you want to play it out with, or, or I'll pick. But yeah, the Harper's um, music is uh, really, yeah, it's really, really good. Man. Hey, thank you. It's really you guys good. are too kind. Thanks for having me, though. Really, you guys, and you know that conversation two years ago, I, um, it was really helpful. Like, I, it's cool, and maybe that's. Um, I don't know. It, it is cool how even in leaving Mormonism, I feel like I've kept this sense of like people come into your life. Not that it was like this monumental thing, but just you'll have like little 
glimpses. Yeah, it couldn't of... be. It was me and Tyler and Dan. <laughs> like, but you know, like just. Hey. People come into your life when you need to be heard or when you need to hear something, and it's it works out. Sure. It's just I everything mean, can be a teacher if you yeah learn. yeah. And I th- and I think like I don't know. I think that was a big takeaway from our experience there in Provo too. It wasn't just the show; it was like that whole experience with you after. Well, you know, and 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 your and your hospitality for us, and that's like kind of a a really fucking beautiful thing of like the DIY music community. These people that are willing to not only throw shows, but like host people at their houses and let them crash there. There's there's a lot of like good shit that happens within a DIY music community that's like heavily linked together. Like pretty similar to like how a church works in some ways. Sure. And then there's and and because of looking like, out for each other. Yeah, and and there's also like a lot of shitty things that that happen within uh, DIY community too because it's a fucking well because humans yeah, yeah humans but uh, yeah I don't know man that was just like a big big part of like the takeaway leaving Utah and and going through there it was like as much having that conversation and just getting to know you and uh it's cool when when a stranger kind of like reveals themselves in that way in Um, that way is yeah (laughs) because because that's not like a common thing like i think to like be like just like Hey, like most people are just going to tell you that they're fine. They're not going to be like, hey, I'm really like going through this. Yeah, thing we caught right you now. at such an interesting moment in your life, this huge transition. You're right in the middle of it. And yeah, so I don't know how we started talking really about it, but I guess that's what's, that's what's so funny about Provo is like, it just comes well, up. Re- like, it, people are like, it was, in, I think we were interested because I remember you were like, hey, like, so I don't really care. Uh, my roommates are like, pretty religious though and like definitely no like like you got to respect house rules like no drinking no smoking like all these things which we were like cool no problem but the way you frame that frame that to us it sort of seemed like we were like there was a question mark there of like well is jacob mormon or not or like so i think we i think it was probably me or tyler was just like just asked you point blank like so what's your deal? Are you, yeah. are you Mormon or what? And you were just like super honest with us, and it was very interesting. Yeah, it's probably like I don't know. Um, even now, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I mean, w- when I'm in Utah, the answer is usually like, no, I'm not Mormon. But then outside of Utah, where people have maybe don't have so many expectations, it's it is kind of like, yeah, like I'm still kind of. I don't know. It's weird. It's just you can't shake it from you, you know, and right. it's okay. Right. But yeah, well, it took me a lot of years post leaving Christianity to realize that for myself, that it was sort of like, it was still a part of me. It was a part of my, a part of my moral fabric and my understanding of the world. And and it was sort of the spiritual vocabulary that I had and that that was okay. And I could, I could use it, um, you know, to, to my benefit as opposed to just trying to like completely strip it from me. Yeah. It's, um. And I think you see people who do who try to strip it, and it's—I don't know—it looks more painful, you know, than just kind of embracing it. It also just—I'm a lazy motherfucker, and it just looks like more work. <laughs> you just got to start from start at the bottom with this with this some other belief system. Like I already <laughs> understand this other one pretty well. <laughs> not that I, I mean I'm not a Christian, but it's just like in terms of like yeah, like 
going back to things that Jesus said, I'm like, yeah, this is shit that I heard growing up my whole life. So like, I, yeah, I resonate with those words pretty yeah, deeply. It's, the, it's your first Maybe more spiritual so than language. I do. Yeah, it may, exactly. Maybe more so than I do something that I would read, um, you know, like a teaching from the Buddha uh, or some other some other Buddhist teacher. I still resonate with a lot of that stuff, but like not as deeply as as some of the things that I resonate with that I hear from like specifically, you know, sort of like Christian mystics, someone like a like a Richard Rohr. Um, so, yeah, it it I feel like I wanted to. I wanted to deconstruct it fully and be like, I'm not associated with that at all. Um, and then, yeah, and it's funny. I sort of ended up swinging back around via, via sort of like Richard Rohr and Pete Rollins and, um, yeah, some of these like headier kind of Christian mystics who I think those are people, if you ask them specific questions about like, you know, does hell exist? They would just be like, what? who cares live in the present like they're all just like enlightened masters basically just being like just live in the present like that's where you find god that's the kingdom of heaven like that's where the magic is yeah so simple to them they're like who needs who cares about hell like what is that a who no one knows what happens when we die like and i think it's interesting when you see spiritual masters that are sort of like of any tradition who are just like so down with embracing the uncertainty, not having the answers for everything. But like you said, sort of understanding that the mystery is an ever unraveling thing that is like that you get to continually discover. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's the good news is just like there's so much to discover and there's so much to experience and it all is kind of okay you know like it's it's not uh it's not so much doom and gloom amen so in summary amen. richard Rohr is king uh <laughs> yeah growing I up mean... mormon is like pretty all right not so bad <laughs> and uh right. don't don't do drugs yeah you turned you turned out just fine is there uh is there a particular Harper song that, that you would like us to play the episode out with that maybe has some relevance to what we talked about? I know you said that maybe some of oh, that yeah. stuff has seeped into your, your lyrics. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, um, let's see. Maybe something from our new album. I'll send you something. It's okay. Yeah. okay. Is that Sounds cool? good. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. We'll just put the we'll put the the link in the episode notes so people know what it is. And yeah, uh, I've got a good one, we'll, but it's not uh, up on Spotify yet. So perfect. Okay, okay. perfect. Oh, we would love the, even better the, the exclu- the Bible buds exclusive. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah a little plug. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Cool, uh, yeah, we appreciate you, man. This is really I appreciate great. you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me rant. Oh man, buddy, I was buttered for parts of that. Like, yeah, you were. You just you just had a few zingers when you, you said the sunglasses thing. You wanna when you, you said wait, that sunglasses thing. That wanna, was the funniest thing I've I've ever heard you say on this. Can podcast. we can we send it with a with a proper send off? Oh, yeah, I'll cut it in. Yeah, I'm just I just won't you know. The, yeah, you really loved the. Uh, I don't remember what I said something about try you should have tried some different fucking glasses I don't know man it just it just punched in really really well there and then I don't know you said something else that was like very like 
I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. And I just like, then I started thinking about the sunglasses thing and I just <laughs> got you again. fucking lost it. And I was just like pretty blasted, but very in the conversation still. Yeah. It wasn't like some oh, thing man. where I didn't know it was happening. Uh, that was a really, yeah, that was super cool. That was one of my, my favorites for sure. Yeah, so, me too. Um, shout out to Jacob for coming on, doing the Bible Buds thing. Absolutely. Um, and uh we'll you know we'll play it out with one of those harper's jams smoke pray love don't be a fucking racist yeah fuck racism and bless up sick